author, financial house builder, and millennial savant. That is who we have on the podcast today. Connor Richardson, the author of Millennial Money Makeover, is joining us to talk about the millennial generation and how advisors can better serve millennials and create either a new line of business or make it a more efficient line of business. Millennial generation is one of those generations for financial advisors that's making us scratch our heads. And Connor is one of those guys that has the answers based on the success from his most recent book, Millennial Money Makeover. And today, we're going to talk with Connor, what makes millennials tick and how can financial advisors best help serve the millennial generation? This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. All right, we're here with Connor Richardson. Thanks, Connor, for uh, for joining us today and taking time out of your busy day. So thanks for coming on the uh, Bridging the Gap podcast. How's everything been, man? It's been terrific. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, well, we're thrilled to have you. You are uh, you got quite the side project uh, that I'm really interested that's making an impact on the industry and interested to get into. Um, but uh, prior to us starting to record, we, we were talking a little bit about... Um, uh, about kind of you and some interesting things about you. And, and the one thing that stood out um, was um, five triathlons. And, and now let me preface this, five triathlons with two little kids and now two jobs, basically. You have, a real, you have your regular job and then you have your side project with uh, Millennial Money Makeover. How the heck have you, have you been able to do everything? <laughs> well, I would say caffeine helps and... Um... Uh, you know, really supportive family. So I think, you know, the, the five triathlons has been over several years. And uh, when you have um, little kids, it's always fun to, to keep up with them and be healthy. So uh, they come and cheer me on when I do those triathlons. So it's, it's a family affair. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, um, and, and I mean, the kids keep you in shape, especially the four-year-old, I'm sure keeps you in shape by running around. So that's one way of doing training for triathlons, I would assume. Right. That's right. Yeah. And uh, chasing after him when he's on his bike helps too. Yeah. <laughs> it, it keeps your, it keeps your, uh, keeps you going, right? Um, that's amazing, man. Well, I, I'm really excited about having you on here. I think that what you've done uh, with Millennial Money Makeover is is just an incredible, incredible thing. G- coming from someone that's written a book before um, and the challenge it is to get traction um, with a book, it's really incredible to see what you've done. And uh, and I, I kind of want to dive into that right away and uh, and really start uh, really simple and, and understand kind of what went into you uh, wanting to write the book, Millennial Money Makeover. Yeah, it's a, that's a great question. I mean, it was a it was truly a multi year process in terms of you know um, having the having the concept for the book and then writing it. Um, as you know, is is always a hurdle. But I think really the concept for me, and I kind of described this early on in the book, is I had this moment. I was living in New York City. Um, I'm a CPA by training, so I was working for one of the large uh, accounting and finance firms. I was working a lot of hours, and um, after a couple of years, I felt like I was in the rat race, and I, I really just kind of sat down to do my own personal budget for the first time, and I had what I called my financial awakening at that moment, which was I'd been working for several years, and I didn't like any of the numbers that were staring back at me, 
And so I, I decided to really in that moment completely change how I thought about money. And that ended up taking me on a journey from New York City to where I live now in Austin, Texas. And um, I, you know, through the process of doing more research and getting my own financial house in order, so to speak, that was really the genesis of uh, the concept behind the book. Yeah, I think that, you know, that that type of like awakening to that moment, that aha moment that a lot of founders of startups say when they get their idea or that, you know, that aha moment in your real life and you're like, I got to make a change. It's really interesting and and it's really, it's powerful when you find that really early on. And, um, and you know, as we, you know, on this podcast, we, we talk with a lot of financial service professionals and we talk with a lot of technologists and, and authors like yourself um, and we speak to the financial advisor industry. Um, and in the, the industry as a whole, you know, coming from this industry and then helping to build technology for this industry, um, this industry has had a really tough time identifying a way to serve the individuals that I think that this book goes after, right? It's those people that are that are in a rut that need to figure out how to get out of it and get their financial house in order. Um, and these are the people that need the most help and advice, not help, but they just need advice and guidance. Um, and they can benefit from a financial advisor, but advisors have such a tough time finding a way to serve them. And I'd be interested, just from your perspective, given that you went through this and you know the industry well, you know, why do you think advisors have such a difficult time serving this segment of the population? Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a wonderful question. And I, I think the answer lies in um, how traditional business has worked in this field. Um, it, and the reality is um, there's been a lot of inbound versus outbound requests. And so, you know, when you have inbound business, it can be easy when people are coming to you and saying, you know, I have this portfolio of money and I need you to manage it or, or help me with it versus um, finding business in those that need help the most and maybe haven't made that mental connection. Um, and so I think the industry is shifting to, to identify those people um, through technology, um, you know, depending on where they are and their overall life cycle of their financial life, if you will. Um, and then bringing them in with, you know, education, um, free tools, and then helping them build that momentum and then offering value along that whole trajectory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it, is that for for the because you've been on a roadshow kind of promoting mm-hmm. this book and you've been able to talk to a lot of people um do the people that are resonating with the message in this book do they feel that they've been left in the dust by the industry as a whole um or do they feel that are they are they intimidated by the industry what is kind of the I, I know I'm asking you to kind of make some assumptions based on just conversations you've had, mm-hmm. um, but what is the kind of general feeling of of the population that you you connect with when you talk about the book? Yeah, I mean, I think from my anecdotal conversations, the biggest hurdle people have is they really don't want to feel like they're being sold something. And when you can make a personal connection with them early, they're much more inclined to share a little bit more about their personal experience. And most people who are having the conversation know that they should be doing something in particular. They just need that helping hand to either help them write 
um, something down, whether it's short-term and long-term goals or mapping out, you know, simple math when they're going to try to pay off their debt. So I think it's, um, it's the human element of making that personal connection that's so important early on. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's also, I think that this is a good challenge for our industry because we got as an industry to figure out how to serve um, people that need that guidance. And, and the challenge is, is how we're serving them today is, you know, it's based on what do you have for me today, right? It's mm-hmm. not like an investment into what will you have for, you know, what will you have tomorrow? And you know, that's a that's an interesting challenge to um, to look at. And I think that's something that like the robo-advisors from an investment management side have really tried to, to kind of disrupt in our industry. Do you think that from your perspective that the robo-advisor industry is, is serving this segment of the population in the best possible way? Yeah, so I mean, I think there's there's obviously room for improvement, but I think one of the just general shifts that um, is going to be really helpful, uh, especially for um, making that connection early on, is knowing if you can get people in early with helping them, you know, pay off debt, and then as they accumulate an investment portfolio, you're helping them in a different fashion. But if you can make that connection early. And then come back to them along their 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 milestones, if you will, um, and just offer advice and encouragement. I think that those customers will be loyal um, early and often, and and over the long haul. Yeah, no, I I agree one hundred percent. So let's do this then, right? So it, it, we talk about personal connection. We talk about. You know, the need to help provide them just those couple of goals or those numbers for them to um, uh, to kind of act on from that standpoint. And and so let's start with a clean slate, right? Let's go and say, hey, financial advisors, there is no way of doing business in the past. Uh, we're only looking at, we're starting from scratch. What is the business model or the service model that would help millennials um, or have millennials in their mind the most and help them the most to create that foundational f- foundation for their financial house. Um, and that would be a business model that both serves, you know, the, the millennials, but also is, is beneficial to the industry as a whole. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm really, I'd love to go down this path and as a, as a rabbit hole potentially even as well. Yeah. So I think, I think, it goes back to giving information early. So I think having um, more of a subscription-based service for simple information early on, um, and then morphing that into you know bifurcating out um, clients as they progress in their in their financial journey. So I think one of the biggest mistakes I I see is having really high upfront costs for coaching and advice and things like that. And really the mistake there is that people who are coming to the industry for financial advice, especially early on, if you just look at averages, don't really have that much. So what they're trying to do is is tackle a certain issue in front of them. And for millennials, that's typically, you know, student loans or credit card debt before they have any investments. So um, giving them free content, low subscription-based um, content as well, and then trying to usher them into maybe uh, a different funnel for investment management. 
Yeah, I mean, that's actually really interesting. As you were talking, one of the thoughts that came to mind is like a mastermind, basically, like a mastermind type course of, right. you know, hey, here's a subscription. We're already building content for this. And advisors are now really focused on content creation. And so it's a matter of like, how do you create a content machine or a content generation type deal that maybe some of it's tailored towards your current clients, uh, but maybe you create some with your knowledge of, you know, paying down debt. And it's like a multi-content series and video and audio and written and everything of that nature. And there's like a subscription model that's built into that. And something of that nature can provide, you know, be really valuable. And I think and I'm making an assumption, but I'd like to see if you validate the assumption, mm -hmm. is that millennials would actually welcome that type of information uh, if, it, if, it, if you can find a way to personalize it, even though you're not necessarily talking with that individual family, right? That's a challenge, but I think that they would welcome that consuming information in that way. Right. And they'll get to a point, you know, the problem with with any type of sale is you don't want to make the ask too soon. So you want to provide ample information to where they feel like they've gotten an incredible amount of value. And then they get to that moment of critical mass where they realize, hey, you know what? I actually don't know what to do beyond this, but these th this business has been so helpful for me to get to A to B and where I am now. Now is the point where I'm, I'm ready to transact and, and have that, that coaching. Yeah. And you mentioned it earlier in, in terms of what some of the big problems are. You know, student debt is a major problem. I'm assuming that's the biggest challenge that you've heard from people that have re read your book and that, that read your book that you connect with on the road as well. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's it's that's certainly a major point of conversation. And then Beyond that, though, it's it's getting ready to make some of those really big purchases in life, whether it's a first time home um, or beginning to invest before buying a home and making and trying to make that decision. Um, because I think a lot of millennials feel pressure because they're behind historically previous generations in making those large milestone purchases, but they're not quite ready financially to make that leap. So it's getting all those ducks in a row and, and how, to, how to go about doing that um, and really just sifting that out. Yeah. I think that that, and, and also <laughs> tell me, uh, one of the things that I've always talked about, um, and I think that this is a challenge for financial advisors as well, because they have to change their conversation a little bit, because you're talking about like, get the ducks in the row. They want to make these like big purchases you know, they, they want to get rid of credit card debt, student loan debt, whatever it may be. But we always talk about in the financial advisor industry and everything that you read about is always like, all right, save for retirement, put in your 401k. And the challenge, and I think that what is so difficult for millennials to understand with that is that, you know, you're telling a 25-year-old to start saving for something that is literally 35 years down the road. They have never even lived 35 years, right? Like, right. How can yeah. they even comprehend what that is like and and like that seems like that is not only forever away that's forever times some away mm -hmm. uh in their mind and so it's like a it's a restructuring of the conversation into the immediacy and understanding the millennial generation and we are a, an immediate gratification instant gratification generation although i'm on the back end of it but we're instant gratification generation so how can you help them understand and see some of that instant gratification which means that you really have to break the plan down into small as you alluded to ducks that they can start kind of 
moving aside and feel that, you know, encouragement of making progress. Yeah. And I, there's actually some really interesting studies on this in general. So when you think about yourself um, 30 years into the future, cognitively, you think about that person as a stranger, but there's some really cool technology, even with, you know, facial recognition that can take your image and change it into an older version of yourself. And when people see that, they actually associate that with themselves. And when they see this older looking version of themselves, they actually will contribute more to savings. I think that's a really interesting area where technology can help when you're thinking about saving for retirement and, you know, shifting the mindset from your saving for this stranger to yourself. Yeah. And I, and I've said it on this podcast before and I'll say it again. I am really intrigued in terms of, you know, that opportunity of how do you put someone into the position to where they can live through that position in a hypothetical scenario and really see themselves there, right? That's the challenge. You alluded to it perfectly, right? It's hard to see that person in that situation because it's never been done before and it seems so far away. And I think that there's a lot of technology that's able to be utilized and and I and if someone wants to take it from me, they they can. I'd love to be a part of it if I could. Um, but is it, uh, virtual reality is a virtual reality with AI allows for the potential opportunity for that to actually come and become a reality. And what I mean by that is, I mean, just think about it. If you put a millennial in an office, or whether it's like at a Capital One cafe or in a financial advisor office, it doesn't matter. And they can put on a VR set, and they can walk through their life in a fast forward version and make actual decisions. Kind of like one of those books where it's like, if you think that the person makes it through the door alive, turn to page 31 or whatever it may be, something of that nature. Choose your own destiny. Yes, exactly. And they can walk through themselves and they can now start seeing themselves in the future. Like this is what I wanted my my house to look like and my life to look like. And I have two kids and they're sending them to college and this is what it means. And they're making those decisions in that reality. And they're starting to see what the costs of it are. And then you can say, all right, that's what you wanted. Now here's your analysis of how that all breaks down for you to get to that point now that you see it. And then they're going to be really more inclined to do that. I think that technology can be a really powerful tool uh, in that process in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, you're absolutely right. And you actually see some companies already starting to do this in their marketing. I think it was um, well simple. They had this commercial where, uh, you know, it's the, this guy and he's talking to the older, older version, uh, fun version of himself, but it kind of gets you thinking about the older version of yourself as you're watching this commercial and being, you know, primed to potentially um, open an account. Uh, but it's, it is an interesting point. And you know, going through those those life decisions and seeing how much things cost is also um, eye-opening as well because just in general, we're inundated with um, a normalcy on television and whatever that is actually really expensive. So, um, you know, walking that back into what is reality for your financial situation is actually critical as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, well, I want to dive into some some stuff that you kind of you know maybe allude to in the book and 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 talk about some of the sure. tips that you would provide to millennials. Um, you know, I, speaking of student loan debt, right? It's the kind of the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the main tip you provide to help millennials get out of student loan debt? Yeah, so 
there, there's a couple. So the first is just on a broad basis. I'm a huge advocate in tackling things one at a time. I think um, we live in a, in a culture where we try to multitask um, and that can be detrimental um, in a way. So one of the things I, I advocate for in terms of paying off student loans is I have this acronym, you know, paying off student loans the smart way. Um, and so that's, you know, starting with your small balances first, trying to pay more than the minimum every time you can, um, always find more money. So whether that's picking up, you know, a side job or or selling something that's not important to you to, to throw at it. Um, and then rewarding yourself along the way, um, you know, getting those dopamine hits for those small wins is incredibly value, uh, incredibly valuable as you're, you're accruing um, those wins. And then actually sitting down and mapping out how long it's going to take you to pay off all your loans at, you know, different payments and at different lifestyle choices. When people do that, they can really make the connection. Um, and, and typically when, when they map it out, they'll accelerate how um, aggressive they're being with, with trying to actually get rid of this thing. That's great. I love that. And what, uh, so let's go back to that conversation about that. I made uh, the, the topic that I brought up about millennials having a tough time wrapping their head and envision and like what you were talking about, putting themselves in the, the stranger's body in the future. Mm-hmm. And so retirement savings, as we know in America is extremely low, right? Not <laughs> as much people, not as many people are saving for retirement as they, sh- uh, as there should be. And the, what they are saving is not as much as they should be saving. So how do you suggest, helping millennials get focused on saving for retirement? Yeah. So I I actually advocate that they don't worry about it at all until they pay off their debt, whether it's consumer debt, credit card debt, or student loan debt. And so um, in Millennial Money Makeover, I sort of have this hierarchy um, as you're progressing up the, the food chain, if you will, your hierarchy of financial needs. and so I don't really advocate for people to think about retirement until they're actually ready to do it. And then when they do have all of their debt paid off, they can then, and they're used to that lifestyle, I advocate for them to take what they were paying and paying off those loans and just flow it into retirement um, and investing. And, I, and I'm sure, I mean, uh, I... I don't have the numbers in front of me. I haven't done a, a model for this, but I will make the, I'll go out on a limb and say that if you're only able to save $10 because you're paying off student loan debt, uh, or you're only able to save $10 to your, to your retirement plan because you're paying off student loan debt, it's probably more worth, it's probably more beneficial for you to just go ahead and um, put it all towards the debt. And then you'll make up for it when you're done paying the debt, like you allude to. And when you get 20 years down the road, you'll probably have more by doing it that way than you would if you were just saving $10, like everybody says, just put something in there. Uh, I bet you the numbers work out better uh, over time, as long as you focus on getting that debt paid down as quickly as possible, which makes sense. Right. And there's also that massive um, point of creating habits along the way for doing that. So not only are you paying off the debt that you can then transition into, you know, paying for savings, you get used to this term I talk about in the book called socioeconomic downsizing. So if you're choosing to pay off your debt um, early, that typically requires 
um, a lifestyle adjustment. And then when you get used to that lifestyle adjustment, it becomes the norm. And so you're able to save quicker over the long run um, once you cross from red to black. I love that. All right, two more questions. Now I want to get into buy sell, a, a millennial edition of buy sell, instant gratification. Um, what what uh, what technologies can millennials uh, or even advisors serving millennials heck use to engage uh, with their financial situation and help them really uh, move forward in building that financial house that you allude to so often? Yeah, I, there's. I think there's great tools like. Um, uh, well, simple, um, personal capital. Um, you know, there's a whole host of budgeting tools online. I mean, I think at the end of the day, a lot of that tends to be a distraction. Um, and good old Excel is, is a powerhouse. Excel is a powerful tool. And sometimes it's just a matter of what fits into your process. Right. And if it, if it means that you have to change the way you're doing things, uh, it can sometimes be difficult to adopt. So figure out what your lifestyle allows for and what helps you stay focused the most, right? I think that that's a, a great point, right? Even if it's just using it in you know, your Apple Notes on your iPhone, uh, it's just beneficial to start tracking it somewhere so you start getting some transparency uh, and holding yourself accountable. Yeah, the barrier to entry is uh, pretty low there. Yeah, you should be able to get started pretty soon. All right, I asked this question to to a lot of people that are in the industry about where they see the industry in the future. I'm going to ask it to you a little bit differently, Um, Mm -hmm. but let's take the crystal ball out, and I want to know what is the state of the millennial generation 10 years from now? And and I'll, I'll leave it there. Actually, I'm going to give you a background, right? Let's, I mean, today, if we look at it today, the millennial generation is burdened by debt. They're young. Mm-hmm. We probably haven't started saving for retirement as much as we should. Um, what does it look like 10 years from now when we look at the millennial generation? Yeah, I think that overall, millennials are going to experience one of the largest wealth transfers um, that the world has ever seen over the next decade. Um, and that's, you know, baby boomers passing down uh, inheritance and windfalls. Um, I think there, there's a study by the Boston Consulting Group that it was going to, um, in 2015, I think it was around $15 trillion that millennials are managing. And it's going to be, you know, $25 tr- trillion by the end of the year. So in 10 years, uh, they're having the burden of having to manage family um, uh, transfers of wealth with, with um, an accrued benefit. Well, so here's my question. I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm talking not out of reality. I'm, I'm being just a devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a millennial, why do I even need to save for retirement if I'm going to inherit that type of wealth? Yeah, no, that's a, an excellent question. And I think um, <laughs> the answer is, I think you should always uh, live your life like you're not going to receive that. And then you'll be, success, you'll be set for success um, when you do receive it. That's uh, I love that advice, and I'm right there with you. Um, all right, let's get into buy sell. My little cheesy game that I like to to play, uh, saying kind of like a, it's like a hot take on buy sell that you would see on CNBC. Maybe four questions: buy or sell. Buy means you agree. Sell means you disagree. And go in and tell me a little bit about why you go one way or the other. Okay. Um, first one. Buy or sell, student loans are the next major financial crisis for our country. I'll buy that. Um, 
It's been increasing um, over the past decade, not only the cost of education, but just the nominal value. I think we're at like $1.6 trillion in outstanding debt. Um, unless that gets paid off, all major milestone purchases will be delayed. All right. So it's a real issue. You're hearing it first here uh, <laughs> or maybe the millionth time, but it, it's a true pr- crisis. Uh, buy or sell. There are not enough resources for millennials to help themselves better their lives financially. So um, I think there are actually too many choices out in the market today, uh, which causes the paradox of choice. So, you know, people don't necessarily know where to start and that can be a hindrance in making a decision, which is um, a major problem. All right. I agree. I I think that it's almost something like the... um... I think for investors, like access to information, right? Like Google, Facebook, everything to provide access to information is, is a great thing, but it's also a bad thing because you have somewhat too much information. And so you're just consumed and you get like paralysis by analysis with all of the information that's out there. So um, I mean, that's a good point. The uh, All right, buy or sell. Financial advisors are missing out on a major opportunity by not serving the millennial generation. Yeah, I buy that um, not only for... The, the wealth transfer I talked about earlier, but I think now is the time where uh, you're going to build those relationships that are going to last um, through that, that transfer and um, you'll be poised for success. Um, I agree. I think that as a financial advisor, you have to figure out how to serve the millennial generation that may not have wealth today. And it's a tough, it's a really tough challenge. And it's been really hard for people to be solved. But I think there's a lot of tools out there with you know, the custodial robo platforms, et cetera, that can be leveraged to help really um, streamline that. Um, all right, last one. And this one kind of hits home to me uh, as I'm really big in the financial literacy side of things. Um, and I'd love your thoughts on it. Buy or sell. The cause of the current state of millennials' financial situations is based on a lack of proper financial education early on in their years. Um, I'm actually, I'll go contrarian on this, I'll sell. So I think, I think that financial education at the right time is really what's critical. And so for people, um, you know, maybe let's call it 17 or 18, it's critical there. I think it's always important to build good financial habits when you're younger and you know, teaching that to children. But one of the major problems is um, the success story that's been marketed and the cost of um, the rising cost of education and standard of living. Yeah, I think that it is financial situations at the right time, right? It's a matter of how can we, with all the advancements in technology, we should be able to find a way to connect with with anybody, any young adult at the right time when they're in a moment where decisions should be made and they're impacting their impactful financial decisions that could shape their future to be able to interact with them. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but there's a lot of smarter people out there in the world than me that can probably figure that out. Um, I think that'd be really cool. Um, Okay. I like it. I like it. I think that financial literacy is a, is something that is, is powerful and needed. And I think that you're right on point with the, at the right time. So what I want to do now is I want to give you the platform, you know, take 90 seconds to two minutes or so. And, and I'd love for you to, to take kind of something that one uh, a financial advisor 
could really take back to their firm today and be able to implement and push their firm forward ahead of the rest of the industry. And I think that, you know, given your background, I think you can provide a new revenue stream and a new kind of way for advisors to to create a, a lineage or a, um, you know, a, a firm forever from that standpoint. Great. So I think um, I'll, I'll reiterate my, one of my main points earlier, which is I really think you have to be involved with someone early on. Um, and that can be, you know, a low cost subscription service. But I think one of the keys um, for future success is building that personal relationship still. Technology is, you know, wonderful and people need to be able to get all the information they can from that. But they'll still want um, financial coaching um, along the way. And if you can supplement, you know, some of that subscription-based service with every, uh, you know, check-in phone calls every now and then to really build that lasting relationship, I think that's going to serve you well um, over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Um, and when you have that accrued benefit of a relationship with a, an advisor, um, you know, the, the cost of conversion can be high and, and somewhat painful. So I think, you know, there's a massive opportunity to serve millennials and the need is not going to go away. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, the millennial generation is one of those generations that makes all financial advisors scratch their head. It's a generation that we know we need to serve, but we just have yet to figure out how best to serve them. Yes, we get it that there is going to be this huge wealth transfer over the next 20 or 30 years, and millennials are going to be holding on to a great deal of assets. The challenge right now is that the millennial generation is in a stage of their life where they need a ton of financial advice. And they need guidance and help to make big purchasing decisions along with big financial decisions. The challenge for how the financial advisor industry is structured today is that it makes it hard for us to serve them. And so just as you are thinking about your practice and how you build it to be more efficient and scalable and create capacity to serve more human relationships, we also have to take a look at how can we create a new line of business that may think differently than how we've always thought in the industry before. The millennial generation is used to subscription-based pricing. They have Netflix, Hulu, they have Amazon Prime, whatever it may be, they are used to subscription-based pricing. We already, as financial advisors, know what they need. They need help with paying off debt. They need help with making big first purchases like a home or a car, whatever it may be. So when you think about how to best serve the millennial generation, take both those into mind. They like subscriptions and we have the information. How can we put those together? And maybe it is to create a content library that they can act into. Or how do you bring on a junior advisor to better serve the millennial generation to help them learn as well? There are ways to make this segment of the population profitable. The thing is, is that it takes time to dedicate the thinking through the processes, the technologies to use, and the needs that you will have, both from a human capital standpoint and from a marketing content and people standpoint as well. But It is time well spent. It may not be an ROI today, but if you do it the right way, there are plenty of examples where there is a high ROI by serving millennials both today and it will be an even greater ROI tomorrow. So take a second and take a step out and look inward at your practice and see if there's a better way to serve the millennial generation and bring them in under your wing today because I do believe that it's gonna be worth your time in the future. Well, Connor Richardson, uh, 
congratulations on all the success with the with the new book, um, Millennial Money Makeover. If you haven't gotten it, whether it's for you, for one of your clients' kids, for your own kids, go get it. It's a great book. Um, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast, Bridging the Gap. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 